0: Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. Today, we welcome Cole Kushner, who is the host of one of my most favorite podcasts, Dissect. Dissect is a show of long-form musical analysis, and each season, Cole breaks down a different album, and each episode is a song from that album. Dissect is just masterful, and I'm thrilled to welcome Cole to the show. In addition to many other albums, Cole has broken down two Kendrick Lamar albums on Dissect, both to Pimp a Butterfly and Damn. So it was a no-brainer to pick The Butterfly Effect, How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America by Marcus J. Moore for the Stacks book club pick this month. Cole will be back to help us break down that book on November 25th. Since November is the month that we focus on gratitude, I'm doing something special to say a huge thank you to the Stacks pack, aka the people who hold down the show month after month on Patreon. For now, I just wanna say thank you to some of our newest patrons. Jill Riggs, Sarah Jacobson, Kate Miller, Cheryl Mitchell, Amy Gray, Mandy Larson, Mary Briggs, Stephanie Elaine, Laura Kinson Evans, and Sarah Gonzalez. Thank you all so much. And for those of you who want to join the Stacks Pack and get a free book from Libro FM, head to patreon.com slash the All right, now it's time for my conversation with Cole Kushner. All right, everybody. I'm so excited. If you've listened to The Stacks, you've heard me talk about one of my favorite podcasts, um, a music podcast. It's called Dissect. And today I am just thrilled we have the host and creator of that show, Cole Kushner. Cole, welcome to The Stacks.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: I'm so glad you're here. This is sort of a departure. We've never had like a real music-y person on the show before. So you're our introduction into the world of music. Why don't we sort of just start a little bit of you telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah. So in terms of what I do on the show, uh, my background is a lifelong musician, essentially. And that began with, you know, (laughs) being a rock star when I was a teenager and playing guitar and bands and did that pretty seriously for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And then ended up going to college a little bit later than usual to study composition and kind of immerse myself in the theoretical world because I was self-taught up until that point. And so, um yeah, so I have this kind of background of playing kind of popular contemporary music, but also then studying like classical music in college. Other than that, you know, I was almost an English major. So I was uh, very, I'm very much into reading and, and all that kind of stuff. So.
0: I love it. We're going to have so much to talk about. Yeah. Um. So I guess, dissect. It's kind of, I don't know, maybe the greatest podcast. It's hard to tell. <laughs> maybe the second greatest behind the stacks. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I can't say for sure, but it's definitely a toss up. Um, I want to know how the idea came to you because it was an independent thing that you did and now you're on Spotify. So sort of how did, how, like, what were you thinking? <laughs> like, how did you decide to do this?
1: Yeah. I mean, it kind of ties into the background I just kind of laid out, which was Having this, what I felt like, well, especially when I went to college, I realized how separate these musical worlds that I was a part of uh, were. You know, classical music and academic, quote-unquote, art music exist essentially in colleges everywhere, and that's about it. Um, Mm -hmm. And you don't really talk about popular music all that much when you're studying in college like that, which I always thought was kind of weird because, you know, everyone likes contemporary music. It's hard to find someone that just exists listening to classical or jazz or, you know, there's always going to be current things happening that all musicians are going to be interested in. So I always thought that was kind of odd. And so when I got out of college, I was thinking about a way to combine those two worlds. The first iteration was a little solo project that I did was supposed to be like classically inspired electronic music. Um, But at that point, I didn't really feel like pursuing that anymore just i just had a kid and i just couldn't see myself like touring or anything anymore so i was listening to a lot of podcasts when i had my first uh my first baby and um kind of i'm kind of the type of person that if i hear something or i see something and i like it i'm always like want to try it so i was like Mm. if i were to start a podcast what would it be And at that time, Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly had just came out, literally the day after my daughter was born. And um, so I have this very vivid memory of listening to that album for the first time the day that I got home from the hospital, holding her in my arms while she slept, like listening on the headphones and the sunrise was going on behind me. It was like literally like a picturesque moment, um, one that I'll remember forever. But anyways, long story short, that album, I felt like, was tremendous incredible but i also knew i like wasn't quite understanding what he was saying fully and so i was like the only way i'm going to understand what he's trying to say is to like study that album like i used to study like a beethoven symphony or something so again long story short i was like well what if i just wrote it and then recorded it as a podcast and that's essentially how dissect was born and so if anyone that hasn't or maybe you'll do in the intro, but um, just describe what the show is or whatever, but anyways,
0: why don't you describe it? You know. You'll do a way better job than I would do, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've talked about it before, but I think that I get so excited when I talk about it that I'm like, it's just this really great show <laughs> like we I mean, talk about music,
1: yeah, I mean, the central premise is simple every every season we dissect one album, and every episode from that season uh digs into the lyrics and the music of one song from the album, so ends up being a you know fifteen to twenty episode. Uh, season on a single album, just dissecting really like the music and lyrics, but re- doing all that to really try to get to the heart of the themes and what the artist was trying to say, which is essentially the same approach that you can take to any art form, books included.
0: Right. You do the To Pimp a Butterfly season and people listen and people are like into it. And not that many. Then, yeah. Not that many. Yeah. But then you do the my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy, right? That was your second season. That's when I started Mm -hmm. listening. And then we went back and listened to to Pimba Butterfly. But I'm, I guess my question is like, you do it, not that many people listen, but you, you just love doing it. So you're like, let me do it again. Or, or are you, you know, uh, your, your daughter's a year older and you're like, Hmm, she's learning how to walk. Like <laughs> let me just put on this album and you're like another sunrise. I, <laughs> like, like how did you decide to keep going? Like how, I'm curious how it grew and became what it is because now it's like a huge deal. You're on like New York City subway stops and like in Times Square and shit. And like everyone knows about it. I mean, not everybody, but everyone I talk to, I tell them about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um well, I mean, yeah, there wasn't that many listeners for season one, but I really loved doing it. That was definitely like the biggest factor of me even continuing it. Um, But there was like enough people listening and the feedback, especially that I got from that small audience kind of let me know that I was onto something. And I always had this kind of lifelong goal of doing something with music as a career. And so I was like, I don't know if I was really thinking about it that seriously at that time, but it was definitely enough motivation aside from me just liking to do it, to do another season. Um, And that's the season. That Season two is pretty much where everyone um, that's at least been listening for a while found Dissect, partly because Kanye is so magnetic and people are so passionate and he has a huge audience, especially at that time. Things have changed a little bit since then, but uh, (laughs) still, I mean, still he has a very passionate base. Um, So yeah, I think midway through season two, I was like, okay, I actually think this is, could be something that i do i was mind you i was working a full-time job um while i was producing dissect at night after my small baby went to bed um (laughs) and so i was you know just got uh contacted from multiple kind of podcast companies or networks and wanting to do something with the show Uh, spotify ended up calling pretty near the end of season two um, had the best kind of offer where I was able to just quit my job after season two um, wow. and just do dissect full time, which is what I've been doing. And it's still really surreal every single day that I get to wake up and just like think about and write about music. It's like really weird still.
0: Has doing the podcast changed how you listen to music or are you always sort of dissecting music if you're listening to an album for the first time? like are as someone who has that background in music theory and composition and all that stuff, are you listening to music totally differently than everyone around you?
1: Yeah, I would say I have the ability, I guess, to turn it on and off if I want to. Because one thing that I fear about being overly analytic with music or any art form is that you kind of lose the <laughs> the reason why you started doing it in the first place, which is like mm. just the visceral, emotional feelings that conjure up when you listen to music. And that's that to me over any meaning message, any extra, whatever, like that's still the most unique and important quality about music is that it touches, us, uh, touches us in a way that I don't think any other art form can. mostly because it's so abstract. It's like, you don't see it. You can only hear it. So there's so much going on in your mind, um, that I just think it's like an experience, like, you know, you can't get anywhere else. So, that being said, I try to enjoy music on that level as much as I can. But also, if a song, if I really like a song, I, it's inevitable for me to go, well, why do I like this? And then start right. picking, <laughs> picking it apart. Um, but mostly the music that we choose on Dissect does that top-level, visceral kind of quality, but also has a larger message. Um, and that's kind of what I try to do is just one... You know, what is that message? And then two, how did the artist use music to convey that message?
0: Do people email you or whatever, DM you and tell you that you're wrong all the time?
1: No, very few times, actually. Some people offer like an alternative interpretation. I assume most people that think I'm getting it wrong all the time just don't listen and then wouldn't take the time to bother me. Sure. Um, Well,
0: you know, people on the internet are assholes. I just ask that because I feel like sometimes you offer up, sometimes what you present on the show is like very specific, like this is a sample of this or Mm. like this image is this or whatever. And then sometimes it's like, I think it's X, Y, and Z. So I was just curious if people come back to you and like. Cole. No, (laughs) it's obviously ABC idiot because of the nature of the internet. (laughs) Oh yeah. I
1: I definitely get like, oh, "Oh, you're reaching there, which I get. Like that's something that's always on my mind. I don't want to lose credibility in the show where I'm presenting these outlandish theories just to make the show interesting. That's what I try to avoid because that undermines any credibility that I would have. So if I'm presenting an idea, it's usually because I've either thought about it or there's enough evidence around it to like at least in my mind, uh, validate that idea. But, you know, I, I use words like it seems like, or it appears like Mm -hmm. just to make sure that it's like, yeah, this is obviously an interpretation and it's not the end all be all. It's just my interpretation.
0: Right. And has it changed a lot for you? The actual process of making the show, having a much bigger team around you, like are other people participating in the dissection or is that still mostly you, um, doing that and they're supporting you more in non-creative ways.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's mostly, I would say mostly non-creative, generally speaking. Spotify has been great about offering support with um, just like logistical stuff, um, promotion, all that kind of stuff. In terms of creative, they've allowed me all, all the creative control. Um, But I have brought in the past couple seasons, um, collaborators in terms of writing. So Season five was the first time I did that on Kendrick Lamar's Dam. And I brought in um, Femi and Femi Olutade. And he co-wrote, he wrote actually the majority of that season. Um, and that I've kind of continued that process each season is bringing in someone. Usually that's a kind of a pre-existing, what I could would call an expert on that particular album uh, that can offer, that has put in the time to really think about it. And then that could, we can kind of collaborate on ideas and interpretations and just get more than one mind wrapped around, um, you know, the lyrics, especially, I don't, I haven't really brought in a, another musician. It's mostly mm-hmm. been like the lyrical stuff and I usually take care of the music part. Um, but yeah, it's, I, it's been, that's been a really fun part about the show's growth. I mean, I still record my closet. You can see right now. Um, so it's <laughs> like, in terms of like production, it's still pretty small scale, which I kind of purposely I've kept it the way that it started yeah. almost um, but also yeah it's been really cool to collaborate with other thinkers
0: do you know if any of the artists have listened to any of the seasons
1: I don't yes I definitely know some have listened um, I've never talked to or heard like personally from an artist okay. but I've heard from people close to them some of them that they've one, at least know about the show or have listened to it. So, um, that's interesting. Yeah.
0: I would think that they would all want to listen and be like, ha, huh, gotcha. You didn't get the answer to uh, that card. Or like, that's I, what I would be. I'd be like, oh, they're dissecting the stacks. Let me just let <laughs> them know about themselves.
1: <laughs> See, I'd, I would be the total opposite. Like, I would not want to listen to it at all. Like Frank Ocean oh, really? specifically in an interview someone asked him about it and he said like, I think he said that he listened to a little bit of it and just said it was like awkward for him which i a hundred percent get like sure someone like actually made a podcast episode about me and i like <laughs> couldn't listen like i could not listen push get myself to push play like I don't yeah. know it's just awkward. I guess
0: that's true I could see that side too like if someone was talking about you well I feel like that's how we connected is that I was talking about you with our Eric Thomas because he mentioned you in his book I don't know if you've read his book or not Um, here for it but he has a whole section on Kanye West power I want to mm. say I can't remember maybe it's just on Kanye West in general my beautiful dark twisted fantasy but we talked about you and I feel like that's how we connected because mm. I was making fun of you because you yeah. say oscillate <laughs> wrong. oh yeah that's <laughs> famously like,
1: I know I love that it's wrong actually now because people so many people have said it was wrong and like I just it's so funny to me now looking back
0: well that was like the on the episode er, our Eric and I or Eric and I were like he says that one word wrong, but then we couldn't think of the word and then you tweeted at me and you were like, it's oscillate and I'm never going to say it right. And I was like, oh, I love Cole. He's my new best friend. I love that he could like take it and dish yeah. it right back out. It's funny because um, that,
1: that's like a music term too. Like it, there's like oscillator. Um, see, I say it right now, but I wish it did. still said it right. I, yeah. But there's like, it's funny. It's, it's so ironic because it's also, it's like a literary word and it's also like a something that has to do with music and So it's just funny that I get it wrong.
0: It's okay. I um, I have a question on this podcast that I ask people, which is, what's a word you can never spell right on the first time? And I kid you not, pretty much every single word that anyone else says, I also am like, I can't spell that word. Uh, like, Um, Like restaurant? Someone else had said that. I, yeah. That's one of the few. Restaurant and okay. tomorrow are the only two words that have come up on the podcast that I was like, I can spell those <laughs> words. But everything else, yeah. like recommendation, separate, um, awkward, like any anything that has a lot of consonants or a lot of vowels, doesn't. I can't do it. It's just like I, I give up really quickly. <laughs> like, where's I the always, red squiggles? <laughs> I've
1: looked it up like so many times on Google, but I still can't. I still don't understand what the difference or remember what the difference between affected and affected is, E and A. Yes. like No idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I, every
0: time, every time I have to Google like effect yeah. versus effect and yeah. it's always like, Tracy, you're an idiot. Please hit <laughs> series like again, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Um. Okay, I have a few more questions about the podcast and then we'll transition sort of into your reading life. But on, so some of the season's, Two of the seasons that are just I think my favorite are The Beautiful Dark My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy and then of course Lemonade. Um I think as a black woman that album is so important to me and you guys dissect you brought in TT Showdia to help you and you guys did the visual album and you did the music. So what was that like taking on this third element not just the music itself and the lyrics but also bringing in the visual components and then having another like it just felt like such a different special season so i'm just curious about that one specifically
1: yeah i mean that i've been wanting to do lemonade since it came out but it was on title forever and it wasn't on spotify so it just never really made sense to do it um i mean not like spotify even told me not to it was just kind of weird if I, you know, whatever. So, but you know, the sec, like literally the second it came on Spotify, I was like, that's the next season. And just because there's a lot of, obviously a lot of reasons why I selected it, but just, just to touch on the visual component, it's like, I think Lemonade, and maybe people are going to revisit Lemonade after Black is King came out, but that is such an under, I mean, it's, it was highly praised and everything, but I still don't think it gets the respect that it deserves. It is a true visual album the way that the music and the visuals interact to tell a larger story is like something I've never seen before. And so it was just an obvious choice. And obviously the message was so timely and important to what's going on today uh, I mean, on every layer. And then her artistic growth that, you know, Beyonce's on this really incredible artistic trajectory that I think still doesn't get, She she gets a lot of praise and accolades, but I still don't think, she's as respected as an artist as she should be. Yeah, And so, you know, that was motivation, you know, bringing in TT was an obvious choice. She's brilliant. She's really fun and collaborative to work with. And obvious, obviously provides a perspective that I cannot offer, um, especially with the subject matter. So that was an obvious choice. We also brought in Maggie Lacey, who was a co-writer who helped out with the analysis as well. Just getting different perspectives on it. Um, Yeah, I mean, the visuals was so fun for me. I love film and just to talk about film and especially the way the music and the film interacted was just a really cool, um, just a really cool opportunity to just really be able to sit down and and dissect what she was doing. And I mean, it's such an incredible, for anyone listening that hasn't seen it or hasn't seen it in a while, like seek it out. It is a masterwork. Um, So, yeah.
0: I went back and rewatched it halfway through listening to your season on it. I was like, I need to see it again. I, there's too many details. And even after rewatching it and then listening to the second half of your season, I still was like, I can't even remember like, cause it is so detailed and you guys go into such detail about the music and, and the visuals and yeah, she's a genius. Like, She, I think she needs to get her Pulitzer too. Like it's not fair yeah, that exactly. it's just Kendrick. Like, yeah. She's up. She's due. Yeah. She's due for at least maybe a Grammy. Like the Grammys yeah. get it together.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. That, that was one of the, I mean, looking back Adele over, I mean, I love Adele, but anything over Lemonade that year, I just don't understand.
0: Yeah. Well, and also that stupid James Corden show over Homecoming oh my for God. an Emmy. Like, what oh in the hell? Yeah. What kind of? <laughs> I'm like, uh, he's lip syncing in a car. What are we talking yeah. about here? Yeah. Um,
1: I'm hoping all there... the redemption comes this year with Blackest King.
0: Yeah. I. You know what? I haven't even seen it yet. Oh, really? Which is so crazy because I love Beyonce. I just. It's been such a crazy year. Um. I had. I had twins. Oh, at wow. This year, and so it's just been like there's a lot. Obviously, I get like, it. Say no more. Yeah. <laughs> I, I totally so understand. So I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I kept being like, we're gonna watch, we're gonna watch it, and then I still haven't watched it. um and just for people listening at home, I don't ever normally say this, but I should say this now. So we're recording this episode in the middle of October and for those of you who are listening, yes, yesterday was election day. And <laughs> Cole and I both hope that it turned out great, but we're like not talking about anything like that at all. So we have no idea what's going on. We're hoping that Everyone is safe and happy, but we don't know. So we're not even going to talk about it. And we're giving you all a breath of fresh air today from everything else in the world. But I do sort of feel like people are probably listening like these people are acting like nothing's going on in America. (laughs) So just so you know, it's October 13th right now when we're recording. Um, My last question about the podcast is, are there albums that you want to do that you feel like are too complex? Or are there audi- audience requests that you feel like aren't don't have the range, like that you could never do a season on because people request it, but you're like, there's nothing there. It's it's Mary Had a Little Lamb. Like, <laughs> it's no big deal.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of artists or albums that I think could make a really interesting episode, or maybe two or so, you know, something. Mm-hmm. But to really sustain a season, it takes a really special album. So, you know, one request I get a lot is like Drake. Which, mm. no, no. I like Drake, I listen to Drake sometimes, but that's not really good for me going to sustain an entire season and make right. an interesting season, especially because I'm really trying to get at, like, these universal messages that we can actually, mm. like, learn and, and take into our life. And Drake's music's just not for that, you know, it's, the, that's not, that's not his intended purpose, in my opinion, and so there's, there are, uh, and there's other examples like that, so. And in terms of, like, too complex, I don't think that exists. I mean, this the show is made for breaking down complex works. I would say there's an audience issue with some more obscure or, you know, more indie or underground artists that mm. maybe I would like to cover, but just wouldn't have, doesn't have the reach to, like, maybe, in terms of my own listenership, I have to be mindful of, like, what people are interested in. So, um, I can't choose like an obscure, uh, like I'm not at the point where I feel like a, I could like break an artist, you know, mm. I'm still pulling in big artists because part of that is just the fact that, you know, only a certain segment of a person's audience is going to be interested in a, you right. know, 13 hour analysis of that album <laughs> as much as you right. might love it. It's still going to be a small segment. So if I choose a, an artist that's already starting out smaller, that means my listenership's probably going to be smaller too. So there's some strategy right. in that, in that part of it too.
0: Is there um, any chance that you would do something that's not hip hop?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, not I that Beyonce's
0: hip hop, but like,
1: yeah, I mean, we have Beyonce, Frank Ocean, Lauren Hill. They're you know, they they flirt with it, but I don't, I wouldn't consider him hip hop. Um, yeah, you wouldn't
0: consider Lauren Hill hip hop. I would. She's an MC. I feel like she no, definitely I, she's
1: is. a she's a a great MC, like yeah. all time great. But I don't think her music's hip-hop necessarily there's definitely hip-hop songs or elements sure. but to, to pigeonhole her as hip-hop i think right. cuts are short but yeah yeah i mean that's I a big maybe question not
0: not hip-hop but just like something totally like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah the beatles or something i don't know
1: yeah i mean i try to pick one reason why there's more, many reason i stick within this kind of genre or world is um like the beatles or even like radio had my favorite band um it's been done before there's there's mm. tons of academic work on all that stuff and there's so little what i'm saying academic work whatever you want to call it, dissect like as that approach to hip hop or contemporary urban music or whatever you want to categorize like there's very little of that ex- that exists and i think that's a sh- really a tragedy because like Kendrick lamar i mean he's obviously getting some praise now but even like kanye or beyonce it's like as much as people love these artists, like I don't think a lot of people realize like the brilliance of them. Maybe they can feel it, but it's like part of what I'm trying to do on the show is like, no, actually this is like on par with all these like heralded composers that we worship. You know what I mean? Like historically. So it's kind of trying to elevate the genre a little bit in terms of like respectability or whatever.
0: Yeah. I think that's such a great point. I mean, I could, I could probably talk to you and about, the Kanye season for my whole life. I I (laughs) thought it was one of, it's one of the greatest podcast experiences I've ever had. But as someone, I remember the first time I ever listened to that album, it's going to be 10 years old this year. Like I remember that album so well and listening to your season on it, it made me – and I'm someone who up until very recently, I really, really, really liked Kanye. Like I even liked the A album. I thought it was good. Yep. I know now he's such a fucking train wreck that it's like <laughs> I can't I can't like him, but I want to. Um, but listening to what you did and how you kind of like tapped into what he was doing was just such an incredible enhancing experience from that album. And at the time when I listened – I don't do this anymore, but I used to teach spin – um, and I remember that I had never played the full long version of Runaway. But after hearing you dissect it and like talk about it and and you guys did two episodes on it or you did two episodes on it and I played the full nine minute song in my spin class and I cannot tell you how many people came up to me after that and were like, holy shit, that was amazing mm-hmm. because it made me approach riding this stationary bike differently after hearing like all the stuff you talked about and and like the one in the three versus the two and the four <laughs> and like when the beat drops in and the the like reverberating tones, like there was just so much to what you did with just that one song, let alone everything else on the album. I It, it really, it's not that what you do elevates the work, but what you do allows people to appreciate the work because i think we're yeah. conditioned to think that like urban music or black music or whatever is almost like accidental or that it's almost like comes natural to mm-hmm. black people right like that there's no artistry in it and i yeah. think that like you were getting to that with beyonce but what you do with a podcast is like actually call out all of the the thoughtfulness and all of the intentionality and all of the layers of brilliance and no matter what you think about kanye as a person which you know for me he's seems like a fucking asshole that album is unbelievable and hearing you talk about it really like i could feel that it was amazing but hearing you talk about it was like holy shit like yo yeah
1: yeah i mean that's i think that's literally the purpose of the show it's like i'm not trying to sell you on the artist usually people are coming in already loving that artist or album it's like i it's like you already love the album i'm gonna try to explain why you love the album the mechanics behind it because we we can all feel like there's a reason why beyonce kanye frank they they all they're they're massive and they're they have incredibly passionate fan bases because we all recognize that that special quality even if we can't articulate what exactly it is like we Mm -hmm. all can hear it we can feel it and so all i'm trying to do is just like yeah break down like how yeah the mechanics behind it how how these artists go because people forget like just to your point about it comes naturally it's like they're sitting in studios a lot of the time for months years thinking working shaping these songs like there's so much intentionality that goes into this just like any other great art form right and to and so to me, it's like disrespectful to listen to an an album and just kind of passively, or especially if you love it, like like the people take so much time to 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 offer these great works for us, and I feel like it's a, like an obligation to kind of like give back a little bit. Um, yeah,
0: that's so true. And and I mean, I keep saying we're gonna stop talking about it, but I do want to call it one more thing because I think as someone who loves words, as a reader, as a person who's passionate about books, for me, I've always, you know, I've always loved music. I was a dancer. Like I, I definitely have a strong connection with music and rhythm, but I often think about music only about lyrics. Hmm. And so f- this podcast, A Sect, what you also do is it really made the music part make a lot more sense to me. Like I, I'm thinking specifically right now of, kendrick's verse on freedom and you guys kind of break down the rhythmic elements Mm. of that countdown part of i I don't want to spoil it because i want people (laughs) to go listen but um that was like a total mind-blowing moment because i'm like oh i've always loved that part i've always loved like moving my body to that verse like it's always felt very like i can't sit still but I didn't quite understand what was going on. And then you explain it. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so brilliant. Like, yo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so for I mean, those of you who haven't listened or or aren't familiar with the show. And if you like, I mean, you've done so you're, you're doing childish gambino right now. You've done two Kendrick. You've done Kanye. You've done two of Frank Ocean's and one season, Beyonce, Lauren Hill. And then you've done some like you did like a little mini Kanye. Thing with his latest album
1: oh yeah it's a one episode kind of conversation yeah. piece yeah but if, we're if actually any, working there's... on a, um, a mini series on Blackest king too that oh, w- with the same team from lemonade so that'll be out in january sure
0: yeah um january okay but yeah if you've not listened to the podcast I, I first of all why aren't you listening to me when i tell you guys like every few weeks to listen to it it <laughs> comes up all the time um but you you just have to. It's so good. Um, I don't know if you've listened to this episode of the podcast, but we had Maurice Carlos Ruffin on, who's a fiction writer, and he wrote a book called We Cast a Shadow. And he talked about how um, – I asked him what sort of stuff he was reading and watching and listening to, and he talked about how he was listening to – Kanye West, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, as he wrote the book. And I was like, you have to listen to the podcast. And I never (laughs) followed up with him. But I feel like you should read his book and see what you think of it. Because he's like, I had it on repeat. Um, And the book is sort of like a dystopian um, speculative fiction about this this young mixed race black and white child in Louisiana, sort of in the future, new Orleans police brutality, et cetera. It's really good and weird and cool. And it totally feels like the album. So I'm, I would be curious to hear what you would think of that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Okay. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last We're back with the segment of the show that I never prep guests for, so I'm springing something on you, Cole. I hope you don't hate me. It's called Sorry. Ask the Stacks. Someone has written in asking for a book recommendation. I'm going to read you what they said. I'll give them a recommendation, and then you give them a recommendation. Okay. Um, and for those of you who want recommendations, you can email your what you like, what you don't like, what you're looking for to askingthestacks at gmail.com. Today's Ask the Stacks comes from Sachi A. Sachi says... I love this segment of the podcast, and I wanted to send in a request. I'm definitely more of a fiction reader, but have recently started reading more nonfiction after hearing so many great recommendations from you and others. When I dive into nonfiction titles, I usually pick up memoir because I love having the narrative story slash connection to a person. Other nonfiction titles outside of memoir have intimidated me, but based on your recommendations online and on the podcast, I've picked up and loved titles like The Warmth of Other Suns, Stamped from the Beginning, and Bad Blood. What are narrative nonfiction titles or other nonfiction titles that grab readers? Would you recommend I pick up to help with my intimidation of nonfiction books? Okay, Saatchi, I will go first. I'm going to give you three. Cole, you only have to do one unless you have more. The first one I'm going to tell you is called To the Bridge by Nancy Rommelman. It is sort of a true crime um, book about a mother who throws her two children off of a bridge, which sounds horrific, and it is. But it's really well reported by Nancy. She was pretty much on the ground in Portland. That's where she lives when this happened from the beginning. So she was reporting on this story for a long time. And so it's all about the story and what happened in this family. And it's really great. My next suggestion is called American Prison. It's by Shane Bauer. And it's um, he is a reporter. He's famous or infamous because he was one of the hikers who was like imprisoned in Iran like a few years back. He was hiking and they got in trouble. Anyways, this book, he takes a job as a prison guard to report on it. Um, and he's a, he was a writer at Mother Jones at the time. And it's his examination in a for-profit prison um, in Mississippi, maybe. I can't, maybe he's in Louisiana. I can't remember. But it's fantastic and, like, super hard-hitting and intense. And then the last one is called Underground. And it's by Haruki Murakami. You may have heard of him. And the book is about the sarin gas attack in Japan and Tokyo in the 90s. And it's sort of this great, crazy story, but it's got really strong writing, of course, because it's Murakami. So if you like his work, it's very different than his fiction, but it's still got that really great, strong voice. So those are my suggestions for you. Cole, what intensely amazing nonfiction do you have for Sachi?
1: I mean, the obvious one is In Cold Blood, I think, Truman <laughs> Capote, um, which I think everyone should read it at some point. It's a classic. classic. Um, beyond that, I mean, it's not in this vein, but one that came up in my mind is just in terms of nonfiction with a kind of, with a story was, is Bob Dylan's, um, I think it's called Chronicles, mm-hmm. but it's this, like an autobiography. I don't know if it's called, if it's technically an autobiography, but. It's written by Bob Dylan and it kind of goes through his early career. Um, But he's very, I mean, obviously very poetic and um, I don't know if if I would say he takes creative license. He's just very entertaining and he's Mm. a great writer. And so he takes you through like his early life. And I think there's supposed to be multiples, but I don't think he's released anything after this initial one. Anyways, this tells you like how he came up and broke into the folk scene and just gives you his perspective on it. Cut like now 50 years or whatever later years later. Um, so there's, there's kind of a story linear story aspect to it, even though it's written by him.
0: I like so, that. I've never yeah. read that. Is that, that book won some, some award or was that like I think part so. of so?
1: His... It came out like, I want to say 10, 15 years ago or something like that, but yeah, it was, it was, I, I, I'm sure it, it got a lot of praise when it came out for sure. Yeah.
0: Okay. Amazing. Sachi, those are our recommendations. Please let us know if you read any of the things that we suggest. And for those of you, again, who want to have a book recommendation on the show, email askingthestacks at gmail.com. Okay. Now we're going to talk about Cole's book taste. And I'm very excited that you were almost an English major because that means you're going to have lots of things to talk about. We always start here. Two books you love, one book you hate.
1: All right. Two books I love. I would say the first one is Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Um, I'm not sure if you've read that, but it's, yeah, I would say probably my favorite book. um, If I had to choose, I've read it multiple times. It's been a while since I read it, but I read it two or three times. And I was like, I get really obsessive if you haven't kind of noticed by the show. (laughs) But it's like, I used to like, because I was trying to be a writer for like, you know, a year, like, you know, a small part of my life. So I used to like type out Cormac McCarthy's books um, to like learn how he like wrote sentences and structures and stuff. Anyways, um, so Blood Meridian is about I would it's about a it's like a really dark coming of age story. It's um about a boy who joins a. It takes place in the 1800s when they were um, when the U.S. government was like paying these uh, bounties for the scalps of Native Americans, Mm. and so this boy it's it's fiction but it's based on like things that actually happened this boy joins this like pretty grimy group of bandits that go around doing that um and it's him like essentially like figuring out how dark human nature can be um i would say it and if i could explain it in a nutshell but i don't know if you've read anything by cormac McCarthy, but his prose is just gorgeous dark existential all the things i love so um that would be probably my first choice. Um, what's another book I love? The first one that comes to mind is Catcher in the Rye only because I'm rereading it at this moment um, because it has some ties to the current season that I'm doing. And it just reminded me, I've read it a couple of times, but what I love about rereading books, which I do often, and I don't know if that's just because I'm lazy and I just pick something <laughs> that I already know I'm going to like, but I I read it, You know, obviously you read it in high school. I reread it in my twenties a couple of times. And now in my thirties, I'm reading it again and every time. And I've done this with multiple books, but I love the fact that it's essentially a new book. Every time Mm -hmm. you read it in a different, at a different age and you just pick up on different things. I mean, just because based on your own experiences or how you're just approaching the book at that time in your life. And more than maybe the book that experience, I'm being reminded of that experience with catcher in the Rye, which is if it's not that book, I would say I would recommend that people actually reread, books it's kind of maybe i like am thinking about how i approach music where i listen to an album over and over and over again on the show i think right. maybe that's just part of my personality but i suggest trying it um rereading something that you know you love but haven't read in a while and just see how it ex- you know the experience changes um yeah. one book i hate i really i'm really bad at hate questions because <laughs> i don't really like critiquing uh, art at all and i if i don't like a book i just put it down i'm not i'm not the type of person that like has to write it out if it if i don't like it i just stop reading it so i can't really remember the last time i did that
0: you don't like critiquing art but dissect is essentially art criticism
1: it's it's celebration it's i would say it's appreciation there's there's like like i think of criticism i know there's like a couple ways you can use that word right i don't like disparaging art why not about that Cause I've made art my whole life and it's fucking hard. (laughs) So it's like, that's if, if you refinish something and beyond that you published it or you, you put it out into the world, even if it was just that to me, like commands a certain amount of respect. And so with that respect, if I don't, if my personal opinion is that I don't like it, I usually just keep my mouth shut and, you know, that's okay, just how. So you're I, on like
0: uh, the thumper approach. Like if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all.
1: Yeah, that's what I tell my kids. So I got to live yeah. it out, right? <laughs> at least, <laughs> I am at least so publicly. The opposite. I'm like say, the at least publicly, opposite. yeah, okay. publicly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am. I love to criticize art. I, it's like my whole life's journey is criticizing art. I just I like it. It's exciting to me. I like having something to say. I got like when something isn't perfect or great, it's almost more exciting to me to talk about than when something is great. I feel like I'm like this is great. Like ta-da, it's amazing. <laughs> but yeah. I think maybe that's just like a different approach to it, but um I respect that you are a much kinder public person. <laughs> yeah. <I guess. laughs> yeah, it's not like
1: I don't have the thoughts, but sure. it to me it always comes back to like it's my opinion. Like it just highlights the subjectivity of art to me. Right. It's like right. I'm having this. Like who's who is the end all be all opinion about what art should be and what makes good or bad? It's like at at the point of conversation, it becomes subjective inherently. So it's right. like, right. And I just choose to like spend. Usually, I just choose to try to spend my time with things that I love. And you know, mm.
0: yeah. Interesting. That's. I mean, I think I think what we're like this conversation is such a art. Like I studied art in school, you studied art in school. It's like such a fundamental yeah. question around like how do we talk about art and is subjectivity well, obviously it's part of art, but is it important to art? Mm. Or like is it important to the discussion around art? Whatever, whatever it is. Um, what are you reading? Well, you told us you're reading Catcher in the Rye. See, famously a book that I despise. I understand. Oh, really? I hate Catcher in the Rye. Why? I'm like I just I it's so not for me and I never I didn't read it until I was an adult and I think Mm -hmm. that I believe that books should be read certain books are meant to be read at certain points in people's lives and I think I might have missed the window on Catcher in the Rye. Like just like there's movies that I loved as a kid, like Homeward Bound is one of my favorite movies as a kid. And I tried to watch it recently and I was like, this movie's not that good, but I still loved it because I loved it as a kid. I feel like that's like catcher in the Rye. Like I didn't get it in the window that I needed it. And so now I'm just like, ugh, Holden, what a brat. Can't stand you. (laughs) Um, Do you are there any books that you're that are on your list that you're looking forward to reading?
1: Yeah, I mean at this at the time of recording it's definitely the Kendrick biography that we're going to talk about later. I don't know. <laughs> um let's see what else am I looking forward to reading. Um Do you know Homegoing?
0: Yes, yeah, Jesse.
1: Yeah, Je- Jesse?
0: Jesse, yeah.
1: So that's that's one I downloaded recently. Um and a friend of mine um sent me Michael Bundela who he he actually worked on the lemonade season of dissect, um, sent me that book, the physical copy, but I just moved, um, Mm. a couple months ago. So most of my physical books are in storage, sadly. Um, and so I'm using an app anyways. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm looking forward. I've heard nothing but great things about, uh, Homegoing. So I'm really looking forward to that one, but it sounds like you've read it.
0: Yeah, I read it in 2017 and I just finished her other book, Transcending Kingdom, that just came out this year. I finished that yesterday. Um, how do you pick what to read next? Are you reading reviews? Is it all from friends? Are you just like in the bookstore browsing? What does it look like?
1: Yeah, usually just the nature of dissect is so all-consuming that I usually try to find books that relate thematically to the season, uh, which is, again, why reading It on the Rye, because... Childish Gambino cites it um, in a few different ways in the Because the Internet project. Um, most famously, if you're familiar with the hat that he used to wear during that time, it's a reference to Holden Caulfield's hat. Um, so it's like I try to find these kind of strings mm. to whatever I'm thinking about because once I'm kind of dissecting a project, the themes of that album, I'm really trying to like just immerse myself in all ways. So film and and books especially, I'll try to find. So like last season... Um, I picked up basically all of like Tony Morrison's books for Lemonade because mm. obviously a lot of overlaps and parallels in terms of thematically there. Um, so that's usually at least at this point in my life how I've kind of selected books in the past. I think it was, I'm always, I mean, this is even the people, the artists that I'm drawn to for Dissect, even is I'm usually attracted to like the big, the big, you know, kind of more. The, the staples like mm-hmm. so like if i like if i if it's more like what author am i going to read next and then i'll work through like their uh, the majority of their catalog so like um, if i want to read Ernest Hemingway i'm going to read like 10 Ernest Hemingway books in a row and just like really understand what he was contributing and the same thing is like i got into like a uh noir kind of uh Dashiell Hammett um uh Phase and I just read like ten of those in a row. Um, so I'm kind of immersive in that way. This is now becoming a theme of, <laughs> of this podcast of where I just obsess about one thing forever. Um, but that's usually my approach.
0: Is that how you are with food too? Are you one of those people where it's like you'll get you'll have something and you love it and you'll get it eat it like every day?
1: Yeah, with food I've actually. A yes. Before. Yes. But then I would get like sick of it or to the point where I just like wouldn't want to eat it ever again. So I've yeah. learned to just like moderate on that point. But that's that's like generally how I am. Like right now I'm going to admit something embarrassing. I got really I'm getting really obsessed with like card magic. OK. And so <laughs> it's, like so random. <laughs> so I've been like practicing like I have like now I have like 20 decks of cards and I'm always like fiddling with a deck of cards. And I'm gonna be obsessed with it for the next six months and then I'll probably just abandon it at some point. I love (laughs) this. I relate
0: to you on this. I am also like this. I am one of those people who can eat like the same meal every day and then all of a sudden I get sick of it. Except for I then I have like really basic staples that I've been eating every day since I was a child, like plain pasta with butter and salt my oh, yeah. go-to it's like my favorite like, food i could it's eat like my every five-year-old yeah <laughs> yes like a five-year-old that's exactly right also microwave quesadilla another one of my favorite foods also what five year olds eat yeah yeah um, that's so I, i'm really interested in this like obsession this obsession gene that you have i i like it i appreciate it i think that's what i like so much about i i like the attention to detail i think that that's exciting to me and interesting um What's a book that you love that you love to like recommend to other people?
1: Actually, you know what? One that I really love. There's two, and I'm going to go back to Cormac, Cormac McCarthy. Um, one, The Sunset Limited. I'm not sure if you've read that. It's a, actually a play. Um, it's a script for a play. I don't. What are those called? Do those have a name? A script. Okay, script. Um, they made an HBO movie, but it's essentially it's just two guys. In a room, Um, one of them one is like a really smart academic professor who tries to kill himself by jumping in front of a subway, and someone saves him, who's religious, um, kind of former, I think a former like drug addict turned, kind of still like very poor, living in a bad neighborhood, and but really turned his life around through religion, and so the whole entire. Play takes place in one room in this in the guy's kitchen that saved him. And essentially, the religious man, um, who is African American, trying to talk this white academic existentialist, maybe nihilist, why life is worth living. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the that that was a bad description of it. But that's (laughs) essentially the that's essentially the premise because it's very. But um, it's just there's it's just. Full of and it's very short. You can read it in a day, but it'll. It, there are concepts and ideas in there that you can think about forever. Like it will, to me, it like scrambled. It made me really question like the foundation of existence. I, that's a it's a big phrase, but like <laughs> that's like literally what it's meant to do. Like it really sh- like I came out of it like okay, yeah, because it, it doesn't resolve. Spoiler mm. alert! Like every Cormac McCarthy right. novel doesn't resolve and it really forces you to like take stock of like your own kind of world philosophy and that that's the kind of th- the the kind of art that I'm drawn to is like the stuff that really makes you question like what we're doing here um so that's one that I that I recommend a lot Did you say 2 or 1
0: 1 is great okay that, i think
1: that's great. probably a good one okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> and when you're reading what is your ideal reading setup like where are you What's the weather? Is there accoutrement? Is there a beverage, (laughs) a snack? Like, what's the vibe?
1: Yeah. Ideally, which never happens ever anymore (laughs) because I have two small children. (laughs) But um, I think ideally would be like five in the morning, get up, make coffee while it's still dark out and Mm -hmm. read in like a little corner of the couch or something. Like with one light on and the rest of the room is dark. I think that would be the ideal um set up for me practically speaking what i do now is like such a hodgepodge of like <laughs> oh i have like 15 minutes here i'll just like sneak in a, like maybe a chapter and then i'll have my 2 year old come screaming in the other room <laughs> so i have to like you know so it's it's definitely not as much as i would like to generally um but that's i think that sounds really nice now. Now I'm kind of bummed that, that maybe I'll have, to, I'm going to make that happen tomorrow. I'm going to get except up Except you have to tomorrow.
0: wake up at 5 a.m. You had me with everything except for the wake up at 5 a.m. <laughs> I'm like, is there another time we could do this? Or...
1: Well, I still wake up at 5 a.m., but it's because my daughter woke up. So then Ugh, if, I, no. if I want to make that happen, it's like 4 a.m. You know,
0: to and then honestly, four. I, as someone who loves reading, I don't love reading more than I love sleep. I'm, you mm. know, I'm gonna go on the record with would much rather be asleep at four than awake reading. Oh, really? I hate <laughs>
1: sleep. I really, I hate sleeping. It's such a waste of time.
0: Oh my God. sleep is the best. <laughs> what do you mean waste of time? It's how you recharge, rejuvenate, reset. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Give me a pill or something. If I could take a pill and just not sleep, is there a movie about that? Something like a movie.
0: I feel like it's called like. Requiem Method for a dream family. or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't end well, I don't believe. Um, okay. What about a favorite bookstore? Do you have a favorite bookstore?
1: I do. Um, there's a place in Sacramento called Beer's Book. Hmm. It's uh, used, a used and new bookstore. I've been going there since I was first really got into reading when I was, I want to say 19 or 20. I would go there every week just buying used books. Um, just building up my collection at that time, but it's just a it's a pretty it's a it's not it's a it's a big enough store where there's enough to fulfill you for like multiple trips, but it's not big enough to get totally overwhelmed, which mm-hmm. I find happens when I go to like Barnes and Noble's. There's just like everything you can imagine, right. plus games and magazines. <laughs> it's just like sensory <laughs> overload, which I get they have to do that to survive, but um. Yeah, and it it's very peaceful. I don't know, even though I think they play music, they have like a house cat that roams around. Oh, and nice. It's like a really homey, uh, great staple for Sacramento. I love that.
0: Are you born and raised in Sacramento? Yeah. Okay. Northern California, shout out. Yeah. How about the last book to make you cry?
1: Oh, um, Between the World and Me, I think. Mm. Actually, I read that a couple months ago and definitely teared up multiple times. It's such a powerful prose and story, and um, I was reading it in the wake of George Floyd, and it was just, yeah, that was a heavy one.
0: Love that book. We did it on the podcast in our first year. It's so good. Oh, nice. Yeah. What about a book that you felt like you learned a lot?
1: The one I'm kind of co-reading right now, Irresistible, Mm -hmm. um, which is... About, it's really about addiction, but it's specifically about addiction to the internet and cell phones and social media, um, which at this time maybe people are looking for a break from, yeah. um, in the wake of the election, whatever happening right now, um, yeah, it's just it's it's just there's a lot of things that are going into our daily habits that we don't think about, but one of the things I I don't know if I really learned it from this book, but it, it, I'm also reading that because I'm doing Because of the Internet by Childish Gambino, which is a 2013 album that essentially predicts all these things that are happening now with the mm-hmm. internet. Um, And as soon as I made the correlation that your cell phone is like a slot machine, mm. that really put things in perspective because it, it is engineered like a slot machine. And every time I pick up my phone now, I'm just, i there's I'm more conscious of like what I'm doing with it, even though I haven't stopped using it hmm. but I'm learning a lot just about how addiction works with the you know with the the types of things that it triggers in your brain, how it's not exclusive to humans that tests have been done on rats and all types of animals that feed into these thing, same things that cell phones and the internet and social media are tapping into now, and this is something that i I am trying to take more seriously. I feel like the internet like snuck up on us in a lot of ways, Mm. especially probably our age where we remember a world without the internet. And then we had this slow evolution into using it for everything in our life. And I feel like now's the time to maybe stop and be like, okay, we've developed all these new habits under our nose, but without us really realizing the magnitude and like, what are these new habits? What is this new world? How are we supposed to be using these tools correctly because um, I mean, even the, the current social climate, I think you can. A lot of that has to do with social social media, how we interact, the the types of interactions of social media uh, encourages. Um, and the book kind of goes into that a little bit. Um, it just makes you more conscious about the world that we're living in now.
0: So I added it to my library holds list because of you. So I can't wait to read it.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's short. It's it's easy read. It's but it's super interesting. I can't
0: wait. What about a book? that you are embarrassed that you've still never read.
1: Oh. Well, there's a lot of the old like the old Russian classics, like mm-hmm. Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, a lot of those longer ones like War and Peace, the Brothers Karaz. I don't know I to say. say whatever either, it but yeah. <laughs> I haven't read any of those those big ones. Me neither. Um, yeah, it's like I always told myself cuz I really got into like that world that that kind of classic literature world in my 20s but always, I was like I'm not ready to read that like I'm not old enough to read and understand that and I'm not going to read it probably twice in my life so I <laughs> I always kind of put those on but there's a part of me that's embarrassed because like maybe every literary person should have read them I don't know they're such staples yeah. I don't know I don't know if it's embarrassing but
0: I feel you I've never read them but I don't think I will um <laughs> I don't know I'm so not interested yeah. I yeah. I don't know what about a book that you're really proud to have read?
1: I don't know. I don't know if I've ever been proud to read a book. I'm trying to think of one that was maybe longer that I got through, (laughs) that I didn't think I was going to get through. Like Don DeLillo. I don't know if you know Don DeLillo. Yeah. Um, I think I read Underworld, which is like massive. Yeah. So maybe that, yeah, I'm thinking more in terms of accomplishment uh, of sticking with something like that um, would be something I was proud to read because, I don't know. What's an example for you?
0: I usually say Executioner's Song for that same reason because it, it's like 1,100 pages and I read mm. it and I was proud of myself, um, yeah. but I didn't really like it that much. As far as like content-wise, I think the answer I usually give is the autobiography of Malcolm X. I'm really proud mm. to have read that book because I love him and he's one of my heroes and was life-changing for me and all of that. Um, And people who are listening right now are probably rolling their eyes because our episode last week, when you're listening, was our dissection, if you will, of the autobiography of Malcolm X. So they're like, I just listened to you talk about this for an hour. (laughs) Chill out. Uh, (laughs) Do you have any um, books that people might be surprised to know that you love? I
1: don't know if I would love it. The one that I'll bring it up Only because I think he hit the author is somewhat controversial, is Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Oh, do you ever hear about that?
0: I've heard about him, but I don't know. Yeah, I
1: mean, there's he's obviously very polarizing. Um, The book itself and what the book, the principles in the book, I thought were very useful and very thought through and very helpful for certain people reading it. Um, Whatever you think about him outside is whatever, but in, in terms of the book, I really enjoyed the a lot of the the discussion in that book, so maybe that one's surprising. I don't know. I try to try to read a broad spectrum or even beyond reading. I try to just take in multiple perspectives right, left, down the middle, like mm-hmm. I'm kind of trying especially in this climate where it's things are just getting to my opinion kind of dangerously polarized sure I'm trying to like is there some middle ground that we can find to at least have a conversation. You know, that's kind of what I'm getting worried about is the lack of conversation right now and and what kind of events that could lead to. It's kind of scary to me.
0: There's a lot to be scared about. Which
1: might be going on right now when you're listening to this. I know. I'm like so
0: stressed out about how this episode will feel in two weeks, which is so crazy because in the past I've recorded episodes like Three months out. I mean, I think the episode that came out in June of this year, we recorded in February. So, like, I was sitting face to face with my guest. Like, we were talking about nothing to do with coronavirus. Like, Mm-hmm. nothing there was it's like a totally it's like a totally different world and so since then i've tried to keep them a little bit closer but this november episode i was like wait the wednesday after the election <laughs> i have to have an episode of a podcast like oh my gosh i yeah. don't know if i can handle this yeah. um I just, i'm gonna ask you a few more book questions and then we'll we'll hold until we record next time but if you were going to assign a book to high school students what might you assign and you can pick the subject. It doesn't have to be for English. It could be for any any class, any course you're teaching.
1: Hmm. Can I flip the question on you and make it an album?
0: Sure. Go ahead. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I only I only say this because a couple of reasons. I I'm gonna say to pimp a butterfly. Okay. Because I think that is a literary work. I think to pimp a butterfly is a literary work. It's obviously an album, but when you really break down the story, the narrative. You can look at the lyrics and the poem that stitches together the songs as I think a longer piece of literary nonfiction. Um this it's a, you know, it has a protagonist, there's an actual story, there's a trajectory, there's coming of age, there's you know, all this stuff, there's the racial components and i only i only thought of that is because i've been trying to think of a way to make high school curriculum around that album because mm. a lot of teachers have reached out saying that they're using the podcast in their classes for that album which i love and i think it's like such an important work that and i i say that too because i wish people could think about music in this way because and approach music this way as a as the middle ground between you and the youth Because chances are people in high school like Kendrick Lamar. Right. And he's talking about, I think, things and issues that are as important as any scholarly work that they're going to read and you're going to try to extrapolate some lessons from. And if we could meet them with something, maybe not Catcher in the Rye. Maybe that book is the wrong book to be teaching now in 2020. Right. You know, maybe there's something more relevant that kids will actually be interested in. And that's why I'm always thinking about that specifically that album, because you can teach a history course, you could teach an ethics course. I mean, you could through the lens of that album, you can just talk about so much and learn about so much. And I only say that because I experienced that learn like that learning myself mm-hmm. through that album. And so that's kind of sorry I flipped the question on you, no, but that's, I love it. that's something I would I would consider for sure.
0: Please flip the question on me when the question is not as good as the answer. I feel like sometimes you just have to Take control of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm really excited because we're going to be talking about Marcus Marcus Moore's um yep. the Butterfly Effect for the end of the month. I'm excited to go back um, and like really listen to Kendrick stuff because I have, but like I never listened to the full season of To Pimp a Butterfly because I was never like that into that album for whatever reason. It, whenever it came out, I guess I just didn't really, like it wasn't in my world. Whereas mm. like I listened to the season on Damn because I love Damn and Damn like landed at a time that I could hear it. So I'm excited to kind of go back and listen to Kendrick's full, you know, what do they call it? Full, um... Uh, menu of songs discography yeah yeah. yeah. there's a word that's not menu (laughs) um but i'm excited to go back and listen in conjunction with the book yeah Um, and then i'm gonna listen to like all of your stuff on it i just i'm excited because i know there's so many layers to what he does so i think it's gonna make for a really interesting book conversation to have these different mediums to discuss in relationship to the work yeah let's just do one more we'll do the last one i always do this one um it is Stolen from the New York Times by the book, it is, if you could require the current president of the United States of America to read one book, what would it be?
1: Wow. Um, I mean, Between the World and Me would be a good one. I'm just trying to think what book would actually, are we forcing him, like— Clockwork Orange style. With yeah, the... The,
0: the, I feel like the question, I always laugh because this question, they've been doing it for a long time. Um, they definitely were doing it when Obama was a president, but yeah. I don't ever remember people having pushback on the question itself until <laughs> now. And it's like people, yeah. like, can he understand it? Will he actually read it? Like, So my assumption with the question is that he will read it and understand okay, yeah, the yeah. text.
1: Yeah, they Between the World and Me might be a good one or would be a good one. The others I would suggest is the Color of Law, mm. um, which is about historical redlining. I'm not yeah. sure if you're, um, and then the New Jim Crow about mass oh, incarceration. So I think that would be a suite of of three that w- might put some things in perspective for him.
0: Yeah, they're so. Yeah. Oh my god, that's like such. It's like my kind of book trifecta, racially related nonfiction. That's like my sweet spot. So I love that. Yeah. Um, well. Cole, this is so great. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's fun.
0: And um, Cole will be back. Let's say, let me pull up my phone so I can tell you the exact day Cole will be back. It's the last Wednesday in November. Hopefully we will know who our president will be or is. (laughs) Um, That will be November 25th, which... Uh, is the day before Thanksgiving. So you're probably gonna be like driving to see your family maybe, or maybe you're gonna be quarantining alone and wanna just hang out with people. And so Cole and I will be back discussing um, The Butterfly Effect, the biography, a brand new biography of Kendrick Lamar. And again, I just will plug, if you haven't yet, check out Cole's podcast, Dissect, specifically the seasons on Kendrick Lamar leading up to our conversation. But again, I love the Kanye season and the Lemonade season. Um, But you can't go wrong. There's a brand new season on Childish Gambino, who I went to college with. And I know, I knew briefly for a moment in college, she wanted to take me out on a date. And I said, no. Big regrets, Donald. I'm sorry. That's really
1: funny because someone else went to call. So, where did you go to call? NYU. Okay. Because I have a friend, it's the parent of my daughter's friend that has the same story where (gasps) she was in class with Donald Glover. She, and he passed her a note asking her out and they didn't go out. And now she's like, that's her like one story that she likes to That's my tell big regret time. too. He <laughs> was <laughs> in really like a weird. comedy
0: group with my friend's boyfriend. The The two guys were in the group together and we all went out for like drinks, even though I was 18. I don't, I wasn't drinking, but we went out after the comedy show, um, to like senior swankies or something like one of those like really random <laughs> new york city places and he loved me because i'm so funny and great and then asked the <laughs> friend to like ask me out and i was like no i'm not interested i'm 18 wow. and now every time i see him i'm like i blew been. it i'm a loser but i don't feel special <laughs> now knowing that someone else has this same story like was he just asking <laughs> out every girl in the history of nyu Kenway- <laughs> <You know what? laughs> Yeah, Anyways, funny. this is a this is a conversation for another podcast called I almost could have dated Donald Glover, but um, <laughs> Cole, thank you so much for being here and everybody else. We will see you in the stacks. Thank you to everyone for listening today, and thank you to Cole Kushner for being our guest. Cole will be back on November 25th for the stacks book club discussion of The Butterfly Effect: How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America by Marcus J. Moore. Please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, take a moment to leave a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media, at the Pod on Instagram and at the Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Today's episode was edited and produced by Sebastian Alcala. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.